This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. It's so good to be here. Um, Just a ton of great stuff that we're going to be going over today. First off, let's just give, um, I don't know, should we have some applause for President Trump yet again pulling in some really righteous jobs numbers? I think so. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) So... You guys, I, I got to spend more time like looking for more buttons because this button's amazing, but I think I'm, I might be abusing it just a tad. I might be uh, just letting it go a little bit. Yeah, too much. So I'm super excited about what we heard from the jobs report. So we're going to dig into that. We are also going to be discussing Katie Hill. So we mentioned a little bit about her on the show. We talked about how she'd had this kind of ridiculous... Um, Well, it was an extramarital affair that involved a lot of different people. And she felt liberated enough as a millennial to just engage in this kind of behavior and expect that no one would call her on it. And really, honestly, her expectations were correct. No one did except her husband, who felt that he was the aggrieved party. So she has since resigned. And she really did like a blame tour. It was like Hillary Clinton channeling Bill Clinton. She blamed everybody else except herself. And this this behavior that she engaged in, instead of just divorcing her husband, instead of just legally separating from him, instead of doing anything that would have given him an inkling that he was in her rearview mirror, she chose instead to kind of say, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Let me let you think we're good. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I'm going to do it behind your back. And then she expected him. I don't like we don't know this guy. Right. Am, Am I right that we don't know this guy? So we don't know what his temperament is, but she certainly did. She knew enough about him to be able to ascertain that he might have this reaction to her having an affair and just keeping, um, really keeping him in the embarrassment seat. And I think that's what this is about when you look at relationships. Couples can break up. People can disagree with the, the premise behind the breakup. But if you humiliate the other person publicly, then they're more likely to attempt to do that to you in return. And so that's a little bit of what happened here. But there was some great commentary. Mark Getz was just dead on. He first supported her and said, wow, this shouldn't be happening to her. Now she's attacking him, which, of course, is par for the course. We're also going to discuss how the president, in addition to having just a slamming Good Friday for the jobs numbers, 303,000 new jobs created in spite of the GM strike and everything else that was going against him. We're also going to talk about how he's finally saying goodbye to the city he helped rescue. And... um, I see how a lot of people get a ton of credit for doing things and President Trump does not. In fact, it's kind of it's it's not just that he doesn't get credit. It's that people seem to take whatever he's done 
and intentionally act as if he didn't do it. Like New York City would be the same as it is now, a thriving metropolis with a low crime rate and tons of amazing attractions without Donald Trump over the past 40 some odd years. That's not true. That, so people who are engaging in that are really, they're gaslighting you. So we'll talk about, well, I'll just give you a list of all the things that are different in New York because of President Trump. Back when he was just plain old Donald Trump, drop my name in a rap video, if you will. And, um, you know, it's Friday and we, I don't, I don't actually care what day of the week it is. When I find an amazing book, I have to share it with you guys. And this one is no different. A friend of mine said, Stacey, you have to read this book. It is Seven Women and the Secrets of Their Greatness by Eric Metaxas. Now, obviously, if you see a book and Eric Metaxas's name is at the bottom as the author, you know it's probably a bestseller. Um, you know it's probably an excellent book. Some of his books are, because he's, he's a historian, some of them are really heavy lifts. Like, you can't just say, oh, let me just pick up this Eric Metaxas book and read over the weekend. I mean, some of you can, but... For me, I can't get through his books over the weekend. But with this book, if I count up the hours that I spent, it wasn't a heavy lift, but it was a book that I didn't want to kind of rush through. I didn't want to just kind of, you know, speed read it or skim read it. I wanted to let it soak into me because of the implications of the women in this book. He's a Christian. He's a Christian writer. He comes from a a Christian worldview and his faith based outlook travels through his his books Um, in such a conversational way. So I'm going to tell you about this book. And then he's written one before this, which I only became aware of both of them through a friend who was like, you have to read the introduction to this book. She didn't even recommend I read the whole book. She recommended the introduction. Well, I read the first chapter and I was almost done with the second chapter when I talked to her again. And she was like, I only wanted you to read the introduction. So I went back and read the introduction and saw, oh, it is excellent, the introduction. Um, Because I'm one of those people who I sometimes I skip the introduction. I just go straight into the book. But the other part of this that's interesting is, well, these are stories of women. Some of them I'd never heard of before in my life. Others were, um, so my daughter is texting me from school, y'all. You can hear all the, all the devices are synced and going off at the same time. <laughs> Live radio and podcasting. Um, the women in here that he talks about, Joan of Arc, Susanna Wesley, Hannah Moore, Maria Skobsova, Carrie Ten Boom, and Rosa Parks, and Mother Teresa. Of course, some of those names you've heard, but the ones you haven't heard of, I think they're the ones who had the most impact on me in the book. So um, I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about it and share. It was in a, it was a fantastic uh, book. And then next week, I'm hoping to have on the show the author of this book, Red State Blues: How the Conservative Revolution Stalled in the States. And this, this one is by Matt Grossman. They sent me a preview copy. And I think this is one of those books that if we don't read it, we kind of can't complain about what we're seeing where, you know, the complaint is often, hey, when Democrats win, they take their victories all the way down to the local level and they capitalize on winning. When Republicans win, it's almost like a win in name only because we don't get the policies that go all the way down to the state level. Well, that's because we just go straight for the legislative victories and then Republicans start coasting where the culture is where these choices are being made. Cultural degradation can counteract almost any act of legislation. So we'll, I'll just kind of preview it for you just a tad. Um, and then we're going to 
obviously we'll get into just a ton of other things. I have uh, more news and information that will run down because I, what I love to do, and you guys know this, is hit the points that the mainstream media isn't hitting. Not going to be carrying on about the impeachment a ton because even if the president is impeached, he's not going to be removed. They don't have the votes in the Senate. Um, we know this is a political operation. And the more we talk about it, the more wind we give to it, the more energy and we fan the fire and it makes it seem more legitimate and it couldn't be more illegitimate. So and then, of course, Joe Biden slipped out of the top three in Iowa and the president plans a fireside chat for the American people. So let's now delve into this. This this is one of those things where you see somebody get bitten by their own actions but instead of feeling like, ooh, you know, you tried it and you got what you deserved, I feel really sorry for her because she's learned nothing. Um, so here, let's listen to Representative Getz talking about Katie Hill's resignation and his role in the national conversation surrounding it. I don't know that it is a double standard by gender. I think it's a different standard by generation. This is an issue where a lot of millennials, I think, sympathize with Katie Hill because a lot of young people who grew up with a smartphone in their hands uh, took pictures, sent them, shared messages and materials that are now recoverable later in life. Katie Hill's problem is not with Donald Trump. I wish she had not lashed out at him. Her ire should be directed at her fellow Democrats. You know, Katie's a California Democrat. The only thing worse for a California Democrat than not having a single of your own colleagues defend you, I guess, is having only me defend you. Mm. But I don't know why the woke left wouldn't stand up for our colleague, our coworker, when the only person complaining, the only aggrieved party, was Katie Hill's ex who was releasing information to try to ruin her life. So do you see how that works? The person they should be angry with is Katie Hill's husband and Katie Hill herself because she couldn't be in this situation where her husband is releasing those photographs without her participation in the extramarital affairs and carrying on and so forth. So if if she was interested in preventing uh, any of this stuff, if she was interested in seeing any kind of privacy respected, any of that stuff, she could have just said, you know, I'll save my thruple days for once I'm out of Congress because I'm, I, I'm powerful. This, this is something that when we engage in sin, this happens to all of us. She's not any different. And I want to do some lesson learned here because we can all stand to look at somebody who's publicly, she's literally right in front of us. She's jumping into a dumpster fire. Well, she's already in there and she's basically standing there and getting burned alive. We can learn from this, not to... Uh, revel in what's happening to her. I think it's very sad. I think it's awful. Um, But as I mentioned, she's not learning anything because in her floor speech where she resigned, she blamed everyone and even said that if she was a man, this wouldn't be happening to her. Like Republicans in Congress haven't resigned over their extramarital affairs. Like Democrats haven't been taken down over extramarital affairs. She may be right that if she was a Democrat and she was a man, she wouldn't be under such scrutiny, the similar scrutiny from the left. But does it matter if the scrutiny is coming from the left or the right? If you're wrong and you've done something wrong, what would have been better for her would have been to come out and simply apologize and say, look, I don't know what I was thinking. Just like any other mistake that people make, I messed up here. I engaged in things that I should have known better, but I didn't. I've made errors, but I want to hang around or I'm resigning. But see, she's angry at people for trying to, quote unquote, judge her for her private actions. But that's what happens when you're in the public eye, especially if you're elected. Everyone who elected her does not necessarily buy into her laissez-faire attitude towards intimate relationships. 
trying to keep it clean here. (laughs) So she's made a gross error in judgment and she's compounding that by not only not learning from it, by engaging in the finger pointing blame game where it's like what we saw with Hillary. What difference at this point does it make Um, with so many others on the left? Well, you know, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Well, yeah, you kind of did, you know, and there are other examples, but does it really matter when now she's resigned? She has to go into private life. She'll probably reappear again, but this is something that she's got to either learn from or be doomed to repeat again. So for us as observers, what can we see here? Well, first of all, if you're going to have extramarital relations, you have to know that there's a possibility that it will be found out. And in today's world where cell phones are so just ubiquitous, and I remember being at the nail shop uh, and we we were already sitting there, my daughter and I, and we were, you know, you, have, you go in and you sit down and you, they're going to do your toenails first and your hands. We're sitting there and this lady walks in and she notices that she's not going to get, I guess, served right away. She's going to have to wait. So she immediately begins making a stink and saying she had an appointment. They look in the book. They don't see an appointment for her. And I, my, my thought was she just wanted to get her nails done. She comes in and sees people sitting in here and she thinks, well, I'm not waiting behind you. I'm going to say I had an appointment because if she had one, why wasn't it in the book? Now, she could have had one and they didn't write it down. But the people who were working there really looked surprised. They'd seen they knew her. They, they, they've served her before. So she ends up putting up a big enough stink that they tell us to just, you know, hold on. They're going to get her started. They get her started. And then after that, she continually is pointing her phone in my direction and kind of, you know, it looked to me like she might be filming me, but from behind, because by then I'd moved over to the nail part and I was getting my nails done and she was behind me. So I glanced around a couple of times and I thought, well, if she's going to take video of me getting my, you know, the back of my head getting nails done, I guess, what can I do about it? I don't even know if that's what she's doing, but she's just kept pointing the phone in my direction. And I thought to myself, this is weird because any old crazy person couldn't memorialize being upset because they're behind you in line 10, 15 years ago. But nowadays, everything is on video. Everyone is taking a picture of something or videoing something. Everyone's making a big deal out of something that really you would have just let it slide off your back and kept on moving. Even extramarital stuff like this, where before the age of cell phones, this husband would have maybe had a big blowout fight with her, argued with her, maybe burned some of her clothes or something or sent her some nasty letters but now he had the ability to embarrass her and put her out front. And that is the switch that we need to all become cognizant of. When we get angry and we lose our temper somewhere, that might actually get put on video forever. You know, so, and it's as much of a reminder for me as it is for anybody else because we all have the capacity to lose our temper and make fools out of ourselves. Or in her case, just have sex with everybody within arm's reach and then have her husband out her for it pretty sad um i think it's pretty sad for her and for us all right we'll be back in a minute stay right there come back to stacy on the right Welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for tuning in today. Um, I want to do, before we go on to our next political or newsy type subject, I want to do a quick encouragement segment. 
This time I'm speaking out to parents. Oh, by the way, ha- welcome to the chat room to Jazzy and Sting. Wow, we have a lot of fun people in there. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been going through some personal stuff on my side, Jazzy. Sorry to have missed you guys for a couple of days, but definitely glad to be back with you. Um, so let's get the, to the spiritual encouragement. First off, I'm speaking to parents here um, or anybody who's caregiving, raising a, a child and they're moving on into adulthood, young adulthood, meaning they're off someplace. Maybe they're apprenticing. Maybe they're studying abroad. Maybe they're in college. Maybe they're headed off to tech school or the military or they're you know apprenticing or, or whatever. Um, this is a young adult that is still somewhat under your care and control, but is also living on their own for much of the time. And Maybe you see them looking a little bit like they're going astray um, and your heart is heavy and you're experiencing regret, which we are not supposed to regret. We're supposed to over everything, give thanks over everything and uh, prayer and supplication to the Lord. And we are also supposed to uh, understand that God is sovereign and he is in control and he takes our mistakes and works them out for our good. So we're not supposed to sit and kind of wallow in regret, rather pray over the situation and give it over to God. But let's say you see your child, grandchild, somebody that you care for deeply who's a young adult and they look like they're going astray. Well, you can still offer wise counsel to them. Just because they're a young adult and they're living on their own doesn't mean you can't still speak truth into their lives in a very respectful way, meaning you're coming at it from a perspective of reasoning with them as opposed to kind of the hellfire that parents hand down where they say, you will listen to this, sit down, you know, we're going to have a chat you can still talk to them. They're still looking for your guidance. They just don't see, they, they don't seem like they are. They don't ask for it or look for it. They're maybe not texting you and saying, I need your sage words of wisdom. They're not going to do that, but you're still going to give it to them, right? Um, so you don't have to fret over the mistakes. So this happens to all of us, whether you are, you know, literally a preacher's wife and you're you're raising your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, or you're like me and my husband, we've, we've done just, I feel like we, we, we did our best to not only to lead the, the children to the Lord so we know that they're saved, but also to raise them as Christian kids with a Christian worldview. But it doesn't matter how much you've done. Once they go off to college or they're off for that first semester or they're the second year in college, you start to see the impact of our fallen world and our very negative, demonic-based culture that we're living in. You might be thinking to yourself, I didn't do enough. Well, here's where God's word comes in. First off, Jesus is our shepherd and he will leave the 99 to go after the one. So once your child has accepted Jesus Christ, he's he's a part of that 99. And if he leaves, Jesus will go after him. So in some ways, it's an act of turning your children over fully to the Lord because they belong to him all along anyway. But your care of them, we're personally invested in these people. You know, they're, they're our children. And so God is our peace. His word never returns void and we have to rest in him and keep praying. But it doesn't really end there. Um, Isaiah 54, 13 says, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. So that's the scripture that I am currently holding on to. Not that any of our kids are, you know, I, I don't feel like they're in any danger of losing their salvation, but they are out of my care and control, two of them. And it is not an easy thing for someone like me who I'm a recovering controlaholic. <laughs> so um, in the big scheme of things, the more I learn about how God works and, and how little control I truly had all that whole time, 
Um, I understand where he says we have to seek first the kingdom of God and he'll add everything else to us. That means we have to teach our children to do that too. But your teaching time isn't over with them. So don't forget that you can still pour into their lives and your mighty, mightiest weapon, your mighty weapon of prayer, the thing that you can do, no matter whether they want you to or not, no matter if they have objected to it or not, no matter what they've said, you can still pray and beseech the throne on their behalf. So I just encourage you to do that. Don't feel, don't feel helpless. Don't feel powerless. Don't feel like you haven't done what God asked you to do. If you led them to, to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and you taught them the gospel and you taught them to attend church on a regular basis, you know, you, you've done what God asked you to do, pointing them to him. Uh, and you can continue to do that. So I just want you to be encouraged. I, I feel like if I feel the attack of the enemy trying to say, I didn't do enough, I haven't done what God wanted me to do, and I know that's not true, then other parents might be feeling that as well. And it's not for us to question every single action that our kids are going to take. Um, and I don't know if I shared this on the air before, but my analogy for this seems to be that um, it's it's one, it's it's a weird one because I, you know, I've, I've talked on the show before about praying for our kids. When the kids are going out to go do something, you just say a quick prayer of safety over them, you know, and you, you don't have to go lay hands on them and hold on a second, you know, let me lay hands on you for, you don't have to do that. You can just say to yourself, you can pray uh, quietly to yourself, hey, father, you know, they're going out, please, please put a hedge of protection around them and bring them back home safe tonight. And you've prayed and that's now, now it's out of your hands, right? They're leaving they're, You can't keep them in the house forever. Um, so one day I've been thinking about our kids going out and doing something and, um, I don't remember where they were going, but I was concerned as I, I get concerned when they go anywhere I've never been to before or that they've never been to before. And as I was thinking about this, I was driving around a highway here in St. Louis where one highway exit joins a highway in between another lane that is coming in as well. And as I was coming around on the, the inner joining lane, the outer joining lane coming down to meet me where these two lanes are then going to join this multi-lane highway on the left-hand side, there was a truck, an 18-wheeler, and it was coming around the corner pretty quickly. And as it began to bear over, it kind of went over the line a little. And I moved over a little bit to my left and hugged the, basically, it's a concrete wall, <laughs> That's right there. And I'm hugging it in between with my little car. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, don't you, I even said out loud, don't you come over here. <laughs> I sped up and got ahead of him. And um, there was no accident. And I'm not saying he was going to have an accident, but it just felt a little weird there for like, you know, maybe 500 feet or so. I was thinking he looks like he doesn't know he's got a lane over there. And so I kept on driving. And in, a, in that moment, I was like, whew, thank you, Lord. And then I realized my mom didn't know what had just happened to me. And I thought to myself, my mom doesn't know when I'm in a near accident. Like if, if I'm doing something and I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, and someone almost hits me or I get jump out of the lane or someone's veering over and I hit my horn and my mom never finds out about that. I don't call her when I get home and say, mom, I almost got in a car accident today. Now, admittedly, I am a mom with a child who my our oldest is 19 years old. So it could be that I used to call her when there was like a really, really serious near miss, I would call her and tell her, oh my goodness, you know what happened to me, to me today, mom? And I would tell her, but I haven't done that for decades. 
And so my mom, that day that that happened to me, she went on about her life doing the things that she did. I don't even think we talked that day. So the, the point that I'm making, and I hope you're here with me when you're, you're hearing this, because if you're a mom like me and you're a little bit of a control freak or you're a recovering control addict like me, you might need this in your toolkit. When's the last time your mom knew that you someone almost ran you off the road or you know, almost rear-ended you or what have you? When's the last time your mom knew anything about that? If it's been 10 or 15 years like it has for me, then I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, Lord, I see what you're saying. You're saying... I am not going to know about every little thing that happens to these kids now that they're out of the house. And and they're not fully out, but they're pretty much out. Like they got a, a heel in and the rest of them's out. I, I'm just to pray for them. And when they do call me, I can, you know, wise counsel, enjoy them when they're here, enjoy them, pour into them. But my days of knowing every little thing that happens to them are rapidly coming to an end. And so that can be a little bit like you could feel like, oh, I feel like I want to cry. Oh, my goodness. That's too much for me. But it's not too much for God. And he's going to bring you along in that area. He's going to bring you along because just like your kids are growing and getting their wings and getting ready to go out, you are also getting your empty nester wings and you're getting ready to go out and, and into the world as a person who you don't know every single thing that happens to your child. And when I realized that, I, I just knew the Lord was saying to me, I got this. You just like you were just fine just then and your mom's not worried about you. You're going to be just fine when your kid is just fine just then and you don't know about it. You're going to be just fine too. So just let me just let me do what I do. You know, God up here, you down here, you're you're the, you're the kid too. So, I hope that's helpful. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself when it happened, I was my mind was blown away cuz I realized in that moment I'm moving into the same place where my mom was when I left home and I, she didn't know everything about me. And I don't think my mom was anything like this where she was constantly thinking about it. Or if she was, she never let me know that. Um, I might ask her the next time I see her Thanksgiving, were you ever like wondering all the time what was going on or did you just not have that as an issue? Different generation, clearly. So anyway, that verse again was Isaiah fifty four thirteen, and you can find the verse on the listen.stacyontheright show, so listen.stacyontheright.com, where the podcasts are located. All right, so let's get back to, um, I said I was going to tell you about this, four reasons socialism is more popular among Americans than ever before. So the newfound openness of huge numbers of Americans who are just like, ah, yeah, socialism, that sounds cool. Um, it's a well-documented phenomenon now. And according to a Gallup poll from earlier this year, 43% of Americans now believe that some form of socialism would be a good thing in contrast with 51% of Americans who are still against it. So that is a very slim majority there, isn't it? So you would think that we would be able to do something about that because in today's world, we're so connected. I remember when I was a kid growing up overseas in Germany, we knew socialism was horrible because of the Berlin Wall and because Germans were especially opposed to the kind of socialism that brings about communism. Um, but not so much today. Now, back then, it felt like an amazing feat, like when we would come back to the United States for the summer to visit my grandparents or we would come on a vacation or if anyone from the United States came to Germany, it was a big deal because it was a, a huge process getting a flight, coming over, et cetera. Nowadays, our world, it's almost like it's shrunken down to a big neighborhood with the different countries being different, uh, di- you know, or a, a big country with different neighborhoods within the country. You know, it, it's a it's a different phenomenon 
where you can touch people across the other side of the globe with a social media post. And we know so much more about everything that's going on in every country. And you no longer have to wait for the next day's news in the morning or the six o'clock news on TV to find out what's happening. So it seems like with all of that knowledge, we would have an even stronger opposition to socialism because we've seen what's happened and the information about the results of socialism, the hundreds of millions of deaths, the economic malaise and and destruction. These are so readily and easily accessible using our smartphones, laptops, whatever, even your Apple Watch. You can surf to websites on that now. Now, a Harris poll found that four in 10 Americans prefer socialism to capitalism. Now, I don't know how you can prefer something you've never lived under to something that you are living under, but idiocy abounds. So the trend is particularly apparent in the young. Another Gallup poll showed that as recently as 2010, 68% of people between age 18 and 29 approved of capitalism. Only 51% approved of socialism, whereas a total flip has occurred in 2018. Just eight years later, you have... The percentage among this age group favoring socialism unchanged at 51% and those in favor of capitalism dropped from 68% to 45%. So people are being taught to like something that they've never tried. Socialism would also eliminate the higher education system that is currently being used to indoctrinate these kids. Because in socialist countries, well, what, what need do you have for the entire populace to be educated? for everyone to have access to education. You do not have that need. Everyone has the same level of want, which is you want everything because you don't have access to very much. That means you don't need all the higher education. You're still going to have some because the children of the elites will have to be educated. But often in socialist countries, they send their kids out to get educated in Western nations so they can learn all about how fun it is to live high off the hog because they've got the money, they've got the power, and they've got the control. And everyone else is ignorant. It, it's just, you know, mm, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. So why now at a time when the American economy under President Trump is just slamming and jamming? Why are so many people holding a custom latte in one hand and a phone where they're tweeting about socialism in the other? Why is that happening? Well, ignorance of history is the first reason. The second reason is government bungling. People are sick and tired of the government messing everything up. And the government is interfering in the economy. Um, You know, the cost of college is skyrocketing. And capitalist ideals are being used to justify things that are wrong when the wrong behaviors are coming from human beings, not capitalism as a system. Um, And so many of these kids are also saddled with heavy student loan debt because their parents didn't do a good job of teaching them that if you borrow it, you have to pay it back. Student loan debt is not dischargeable and you don't need 100,000 or 200,000 in student loans to get an education nowadays. I keep hearing people talking about my kid wants to go to and then they name off this expensive university. And I will sometimes chime in, at least if I know the person a little, I'll say, but what do you want to pay for? Because if your kid's talking about going to a $70,000 a year university and you saved $24,000 a year money, then that means that kid's got to borrow the difference. You're setting the kid up for failure if you don't tell them how hard it's going to be to pay that off. And then the third reason is university's ideological monoculture, which is pushing these ideals. 
The fourth reason is coddled kids. People just don't want to be tough on their kids nowadays. They want to be their friend, which is why these kids are so disillusioned because parents who are your friend, well, they just don't make very good parents. So uh, this article is linked in the show notes. And so you can check it out. Um, I just feel bad about it for kids who are currently experiencing that disillusionment. And disillusionment is a part of becoming adult, but it shouldn't be to this degree. We got to start telling them the truth. All right. Last segment up next. Stay there. Welcome back. All right. So um, the, the, the other things that we're going to delve in today, delve into today on the program, I want to get to uh, this story over at Politico, and it's about a fundraiser that was held for House Republicans. So they held a fundraiser. They held it at Trump Tower, and uh, <laughs> they got a little extra boost out of it because the president actually was present at the uh, fundraising event, and he spoke for roughly an hour to the lawmakers in the crowd. They were forced to ditch their phones, and they had steak, mashed potatoes, and asparagus, but the president engaged in some really just some some fun with them. He roasted them. He uh, gave a shout out to the top GOP fundraisers, and there's a, a little bit of a, like, there was people in the room. They didn't have phones, but they reported afterwards from the space. And uh, here's the highlights of what they shared. That President Trump praised House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and his joint fundraising committee called Take Back the House. My Kevin is always on my side, he said, and talked about Kevin McCarthy be- becoming speaker one day. <laughs> he talked about uh, Representative Greg Pence from Indiana, who happens to be the brother of Vice President Mike Pence. He was there and he said, I know a guy who looks like you. How did you get that good of a seat in here, you cheapo? (laughs) So he's cracking jokes at their expense. President Trump mentioned the Alabama Senate race where former Attorney General Jeff Sessions was considering jumping in. And he said, quote, question for Gary Palmer. Who's going to win in Alabama? Don't tell me Sessions. Is it going to be the coach? So he, he really had a grasp of who was in the room and what was going on in their states and how he could kind of bring that to the fore to make a bit of of levity, a part of the event. He also reflected on the shooting of House Minority Whip Steve Scalise a few years ago and remarked how tough the Louisiana Republican actually is. He quipped that he wouldn't recommend getting shot as a weight loss plan. And he also said Scalise's wife cried her eyes out when I met her in the hospital that fateful day. I mean, not many wives would react that way to tragedy. I know mine wouldn't. (laughs) So he's saying if he got shot, Melania wouldn't cry. (laughs) So I... This is a side of President Trump that we know exists, and we would get to see more of it if he were a Democrat. Because remember how they treated President Obama. They treated him like he was the original presidential rock star. Instead of giving him just what was due to him because he was the president of the United States, they went the extra mile and tried to make him basically one of the Hollywood elites while he was still the president of the United States. So he would appear on the late night talk shows, and they would treat him like he was one of them. 
but now remember some of the late night talk show hosts have already talk show hosts have already made the error of having president Trump on while he was the president and treating him like a person and then getting totally vilified for it. Cause you're not allowed to be nice to Republicans, but if, if this were a Democrat president making a roast like this, they would already be creating memes and the jokes would be flying and everybody would be talking about how cool this guy is and how great of a sense of humor he is and how lucky Americans are to have someone like that and how this is Trump's America if he were a Democrat. So then he's shifted to Representative John Joyce's Pennsylvania family for a bit. And he asked, quote, should we get your handsome son to run for your seat? He's quite the handsome man. Stand up, son. And end quote. Then he added that Joyce's wife is a looker, too. And he praised Representative Andy Barr from Kentucky for beating Democrat Amy McGrath last year, but took a little bit of the credit for himself when he said, well, technically I did. So do I have to beat her twice? And of course, people really laughed at that because McGrath is currently running against Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. So she's not going away. Now, Republican pollster Frank Luntz, who's a frequent visitor and and he's a fixture on Fox News, actually, he got teased by President Trump when he said, you used to be against me, but now you're on my side. Not so nice before, but now I have to say, I like you and I like your work. (laughs) So um, I... You know, can you just for a second, especially since it's Friday, can we just give some credit to the guy for having jokes and wanting to let people laugh a little bit, some at his own expense, some at their own expense, and bringing that to a part of what they were experiencing that night. They're there to raise money, obviously. They're there for serious business because they want to win, but they're also going to have time where they can spend just laughing. And it's a side of the president the media won't show you, which is why I'm happy to kind of share, look, this is what happened. You won't see it on CNN. You definitely won't see it on MSNBC or any of the nightly shows. You would see it if he were a Democrat. But since he's not, you're basically Americans probably think that he never laughs at all. Um, so it, speaking of California earlier, pivoting back to that. The BBC is reporting that a hungry herd of 500 goats has helped save the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library from the California wildfires. Now, you know, the wildfires are raging again. That's why they've cut the power off to so many of the residents of areas in California that are affected. And already some homes have been burned. There's been some property damage and people have been evacuated. So the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, I've seen some images on Instagram. You can actually on the property looking out, you can see the wildfire raging within, like you can actually see it. And they're probably really having to be careful about inhaling the smoke from it. So in May, the library hired the goats to clear flammable scrubs surrounding the complex as a preventative measure. Now, here we go back to the very basic foundational concept that is biblical of tending the garden. We know through simple Google searches and through paying attention to what the U.S. Wildlife and Forestry Service has told us repeatedly as Americans about private citizens caring for federal lands. That is a thing that deteriorated under the Obama administration and is now beginning to flourish again under the Trump administration. Government bureaucrats can't take care of multiple hundreds of billions of square acres of federal lands. They have to rely on the people who live adjacent and on those federal lands to assist the U.S. Forestry Service in caring for them, which includes clearing brush and making sure that um, controlled burns are executed and that just simply some trees have to be felled. 
for every healthy set of 10 trees or so, you're going to see trees that have a disease or they've died off for whatever reason. Environmentalists don't want you to touch anything. Leave it. It's a part of the flora and the fauna and the natural beauty of things. Well, too much dead wood sitting around and blazing temperatures like you get in California and any little thing like some of these wildfires are set by illegal aliens. I mean, all of these stories, they seem to come together in such an amazing fashion when you talk about California. Then you have to have some way of combating that. So the way to combat it is if there's a dead tree, you cut it down if, and you remove the dead wood. If there's scrub and brush around that you need cleared and you're thinking, wow, how can I, how can I clear this scrub and brush and make this happen in a way that really benefits uh, the environment? Well, you can do what the Ronald Reagan ranch did. They brought in the goats. The goats ate the stuff. Goats eat anything, by the way. Goats ate up the brush and created a fire break that slowed the flames and gave the firefighters extra time to react. The library near Los Angeles was threatened by the Easy Fire, the latest in a spate of fires causing evacuations and power cuts across the state. The Caprine contractors included Vincent Van Goat, Selena Goatmez, and Goatsart. <laughs> These are the names of the little goats. <laughs> they helped, exa- helped to save exhibits, including Air Force One, the jet that he used, Ronald Reagan, during his tenure as president, and a significant chunk of the Berlin Wall, which is pretty amazing. And I think it's just so exciting to hear. So if you're an environmentalist, you have to be cartwheeling over the story because they didn't use machines. They didn't increase their carbon footprint. They brought animals in that cleared the brush that made it possible for the firefighters to get there to protect the ranch before the flames engulf the whole place. Because the flames are obviously eating up the driest crackling and tindling. That's what they're going for. The flames are moving in the direction of any place that has not been properly cleaned up. I mean, it's just, it's so basic. It's almost defies logic uh, for what, what, what's supposed to happen. Like who's supposed to know this stuff besides, you know, a, a small time radio host out in the middle of the country with a podcast, who is supposed to know this? It's great for me to read about it and know it, but I'm not in charge of anything having to do with wildlife and forestry, and especially in the area that seems to be hardest hit, which is California. And also, do you feel like that's a coincidence? Is California hardest hit by these natural disasters because um, forests are just mean or fire just hates them? Or is it because they're managed by individuals who are godless and continue to thumb their nose at just the most basic, common sense, decent types of activities? They'd rather sit around and talk about climate change. They'd rather sit around and, uh, you know, argue over gender. They would rather teach small children, five and six-year-olds, about homosexual sex. They would rather remove the rights of parents to opt their children out of that demonic. Just, it's hellish to teach children that kind of stuff, to rob them of their innocence and to ignite things within them that children aren't supposed to think about sex. That's why they're children. That's why parents are there to protect them. So everywhere you look, you look at the drunk driving statistics, look at the amount of money that they're, they're now wanting to increase taxes on Californians so they can help pay for their latest scheme, which is giving free health care to all of the people who are illegal aliens in the state. One out of every four people in the state is there illegally. Their drunk driving is through the roof. People just get killed sitting on park benches by people drunk driving. They hit them, run the person over on the park bench, get out of the car and run away. Or they drive away. 
I was there for uh, National Religious Broadcasters earlier this year, and we watched the 6 o'clock news, and my daughter said, Mom, why, why are we watching this? I said, I just, I just wanted to see what the news was like in California. She said, it's depressing me. I said, okay. I'd watched it for about a half an hour. It was just drunk driving death after drunk driving death after drunk driving death. So, you know, am I saying that it's all the Democrats' fault? Well, honesty is the best policy. Yeah, I am. So moving on to the next piece. President Trump says that the impeachment efforts have actually energized his base. Here's the quote from him. It's energized my base like I've never seen before. And he told this to the Washington Examiner. And uh, he says, my base is much bigger than people think, but I think I go way beyond my base. He says the proceedings are an insult to him. And he thinks that impeachment is a very dirty word that he can't believe the do nothing Democrats are trying to pin on him and that it's a disgrace and that it's going to backfire on them. He says he's done nothing wrong. I share that with you because it's so important to me that he has a chance to defend himself and the Democrats are depriving him of that. And I, I'm just so glad that nothing ever escapes the eyes of the Lord. We know that even in the worst circumstances, when it looks like the enemy is reigning and ruling and getting away with every evil thing, that God's justice is absolute and it never fails. It does not pause. It does not sleep. And especially when it looks like people are just totally getting away with stuff, they're not. And God is in control. So we continue to pray for the president, pray for those who are elected over us. Um, even those Democrats, they're people and they can change. Any person can change. We have to pray that the Lord will bring them in, draw them in. And, and that's all we can do. Um, but you can find all these stories. They'll be linked at listen.stacyontheright.com. And I wanted to say hello to Chi, Bjorn, Great Eagle, Lightning Man, Melly, Richard Layton, Robin. Hey, guys. Uh, I know I saw smoke in there, too. Smoke. Um, and Tracy, thank you so much for being in there. Oh, I went down and 39941, whoever that is. Hello. Uh, and Tracy, and then, uh, someone logged in as S Washington. That might be me on another device. And then today I'm radio Stacy. That's me. I haven't really commented, but I am inside the chat room. So it, we're in agreement over the chat room that yes, it is the Democrats fault. And I think it's pretty sad, but it's the truth. And, um, so that's, that's that now. Uh, the other story that I thought was pretty funny, I, just to highlight the news, I'm not touching on Catherine Herridge leaving, uh, Fox news. I think she's been there since the very beginning. I've always liked her. No nonsense reporting. She's leaving to work as a senior investigative correspondent out of Washington, DC for CBS news. She begins in November. It's a job change. Why should we care about it? Leftists want to use it to say that Fox news is fake news. I say, you know what? If that's all you've got to say, you are the fake news. Moving on, uh, the other story that I thought was pretty interesting is over at the Climate Depot. And as we round out the show here, UN Biodiversity Chief quickly resigns. Documents show she had been accused of discriminating against African staff members on the basis of their race. If the Democrats can't have any unity over on their side, how dare they try to voice their ideas on the rest of us? Happy weekend to you. God bless.